Well, good morning. I'm thankful for what the Lord is doing in um, allowing us to continue to do ministry, even in this time of the pandemic. It certainly is not an easy time, but yet the Lord is faithful to sustain us, including this Sunday, where we can continue to come and study the Word of God together. So I'm excited that we can again bring to you the Word, that we can be around God's Word this morning. And we've been around Matthew, and we have been in Matthew chapter 9. So if you would turn with me to Matthew chapter 9 today, we can um, study this portion of God's Word. Matthew chapter 9, and we are verses 9 through 13. And let's read this passage here from verse 9 to 13 and pray for the Lord to lead us and guide us to understand His Word. Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. As Jesus passed on from there, He saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax booth and said to him, Follow me. He arose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and the disciples. When Pharisees saw this, they they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Let's bow in the word of prayer. Our Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that continues to work in this church to lead us and guide us, to strengthen us, Lord, even in this difficult time. Lord, we know, God, that no time is not your time. Every day, every moment, Lord, is your day and is your time. So, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity that we get to serve you, praise you, Lord, through um, just listening to the music and also through the reading and also through the studying of your word. Would you open our eyes, open our hearts, Lord, to see more of you, Lord. Change our hearts. Give us our attitude of worship. Lord, let us be um, uh, captured, Lord, by your love. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We despise things that are unclean. We despise things that are dirty. These days, my wife and I, we are teaching our kids to do some chores at home. And one of the chores that we teach to Uh, teach them to do is to clean out the dishwasher take the dishes out of the dishwasher and put them back in the cupboards they do it quite well because they kind of like doing it even matthew likes to help at times matthew is my two-year-old kid and um we watch them because we want to make sure they're doing it right but one morning what happened is that Curran and i we slept in we slept in and we figured you know what the kids are sleeping in too but they were so eager to help during that day so they got up early in the morning and they began to put the dishes away they took the dishes out of the dishwasher and began to put them in the cupboard normally we would appreciate their act of service however during this day it wasn't really helpful because the dishes in the dishwasher was not clean it had not been running the night before so now all of a sudden we have dishes now in the cupboard that are dirty and it's impossible to tell which are clean, which are dirty because we rinse our dishes before we put them in the dishwasher, right? Make sure that all the particles are gone. Now they're dried up, you put them in, a big, put them in the cupboard, it's really, really hard. I mean, you're kind of looking at it and wondering if this is clean or this is dirty. You can't really tell. The difficulty is that we want clean dishes. All of us want clean dishes. If you were to come to, come to my house and I tell you, hey, some of the dishes in the cupboard are clean, some of them are dirty and i say i'm gonna give you a cup of water from this cupboard would you drink it probably not you'll want to make sure that all the dishes in that cupboard are clean 
before you drink any water that's carried by a cup in that cupboard. You want to make sure every cup is clean. Am I right? You would. God sees us in the same way. You see, the human heart is like a cupboard of both dirty and clean dishes. We have good desires within us. Many of us do good things. We do. We put off the things that we want to do in order to help people. We say kind words to other people. We do kind things for other people. And they're good. That's within the human heart. However, within that same human heart, within that same cupboard, there's also evil. There are things that we do that are not so kind. There are things that we do that are not nice. We sometimes say hurtful words to other people. Sometimes we do hurtful actions to other people. <laughs> and as a result of that, our human heart is much like my cupboard, full of clean and dirty dishes. If you were to come over and say, hey, I want a cup of water and I give you a cup from that cupboard, would you drink it? Probably not. You probably would not drink it. But you see, God sees us in the same way. God sees us in the same way. Our human heart, because it is tainted with evil, even though we do many good things, it is permeated with sin, it is permeated with evil. It's not all evil, but there's some evil. And because God is pure and God's holy, and He cannot tolerate any kind of evil in His presence, we are rejected in His presence. God who created us to be holy and, and pure, we, rejected, we, we walked away from Him, and therefore we're unacceptable in His sight. That all changed when Jesus Christ came to earth to die on the cross for our sins. See, our sins would have ended up in the would end us up in the judgment of God. Except Jesus Christ came and took that judgment for us. Jesus Christ came and died on the cross to pay for the penalty of our sins. He died on the cross to give his perfect righteous life to us. On the cross, we are now his when he died on the cross for us if we believe unto him we're now his he gives his perfect purity to us only if we'll surrender all that we are come to him and believe unto him as our lord and savior if we do then we shall be made pure as he is pure therefore throughout the whole entire book of matthew matthew is giving us this point that you must recognize that there is uncleanness in you. You must recognize that you are a sinner in order to receive the grace of God that is through our Lord Jesus Christ. And especially here in Matthew chapter 9, verse 9 through 13, we're going to continue to see this passage or this message uh, taught to us by Matthew, which is that we are to recognize that we're sinners and believe unto our Lord Jesus Christ. The world which we're living in, we're constantly excusing our sin. We constantly say, you know what, I'm not that bad of a person. I do more good than evil, so therefore I should be accepted. However, our Lord, our God, does not accept any kind of evil in His sight because He's perfectly pure, perfectly holy. Even though we think we should be accepted, the reality is that we're not in His sight. However, today, if we, buy, if, we, if, we, if we believe on our Lord Jesus Christ, if we understand this message and believe unto Him, then we shall be made clean as Jesus had died for our sins. So here in Matthew chapter 9, verse 9 through 13, we're going to see this passage again, that God is calling us to recognize that we're sinners before Him and believe unto the Lord Jesus Christ. And the first thing that we're going to see in this passage is that God is calling us to recognize our sinners, and in recognition that we're sinners, we're going to surrender all to follow Him. We're going to surrender all to follow our Lord Jesus. As we hear from verse 9, just one verse of chapter 9, verse 9. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax booth. He said to him, follow me. He arose 
and follow him. So let's stop right there for a second. So here, up to this point, Jesus has been preaching to the, Jew, uh, the, to the Jewish people that he is the Messiah. He is the Savior of the world. He's preaching that men in themselves are sinners. Throughout the Sermon on the Mount, he's been teaching that there is lust in us. There's a murderous heart attitude in us because we're being angry. There is unrighteously angry, that is. We have lying spirit within us. There's all kinds of evil that's within the human heart. Except for one person that does not have any kind of evil in his heart, and that is our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus himself had lived the perfect requirement of God. This is said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, when he said, I came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Jesus Christ can fulfill all the requirements according to God's perfect law, live it out perfectly, and the result of that, if you believe unto our Lord Jesus, he shall give his pure life to you as well. This appears to be a very, very obvious choice. If we recognize that we have sin in our hearts, if we recognize that we're sinners before the Lord, we would make that choice to surrender all and follow Jesus. Jesus said, you must recognize that you are a beggar, a spiritual beggar, that there's nothing good within you, and then come to the Lord Jesus Christ, asking Him to save you. This kind of attitude before the Lord is an attitude of surrendering our pride, surrendering everything that we are in order to follow Him. And it is an obvious choice if you and I believe that we're sinners in deserving of eternal punishment. We see people in the scripture, throughout scripture, that make this choice that to believe in our Lord Jesus Christ. We see Matthew, especially here in chapter 4, as we study through the first portion of chapter 4, where Jesus was calling the disciples. There's James, Andrew, Peter, and John, the four fishermen disciples. They surrender all to follow Jesus because they know how much, how much of a sinner they are. They surrender all, including their jobs. There were many in their nets by the seashore, and Jesus said, follow me. At that moment, they surrendered all, they surrendered their jobs, they, picked, they, they literally dropped everything to follow their Lord Jesus Christ. It was the utmost importance to them to follow Lord Jesus because they know that this is something they needed to do in order to have their sins forgiven. Today, we're going to see another man who surrendered all to follow Jesus, who took the opportunity, who took the message which Jesus is taught and therefore embraced it and therefore received salvation. But he surrendered all to do it, and this is a man, Matthew. We see here in Matthew chapter 9, verse 9, who this man is. And this is the writer of the book of Matthew. Matthew is talking about himself here. And throughout the book of Matthew, he only mentions some mentions himself once here in this verse, Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. He's a very humble person. He doesn't like to talk about himself very much, but he does talk about himself here. Jesus at this moment, as we're going to read, met Matthew. And me, Matthew, meeting Matthew here is in the city of Capernaum. As we know, Jesus has been ministering in the Sea of Galilee region, and therefore he established his ministry here in Capernaum, and Matthew is one of the tax collectors in Capernaum. If you know a little bit about tax collecting, you would know that Matthew is probably one of the most hated person in the land of Israel. The Jews hated paying taxes. They did. They hated paying taxes, probably not for the same reason that you and I hate paying taxes. You and I hate paying taxes because we don't want to give our money away. We don't want to give money to, you know, we don't want to give our hard money, hard-earned money away. The Jews hated paying taxes because they don't believe that their tax money should go to anyone but God himself. You see, the Jews, in especially in this religious environment that the Jews are in, they believe that the money should go to God. According to Old Testament law, the money should be going to the Levitical system, the sacrifices, whatever it takes to maintain the religious community which the Jews are part of. So they don't really, really want to give their money away to any foreign force. 
But when the Romans came in and took over the land of Israel, this all changed. Jews, however, were still kind of paying the temple taxes. They were still kind of paying the, the, the money that needed to make the sacrifices go. So they still want to maintain the religious environment. They do. But now they're added an extra thing on top of them that they had to pay, which is the taxes to the Roman Empire. It's a heavy tax. We're going to talk a little bit about the type of tax they have to pay. That is a heavy tax. But the Jews hated paying this tax. They hated it. But not just the Jews only. Every single people group that the Roman Empire conquered, they also hated paying taxes. So the Roman Empire figured out something that's quite clever. What they did is that they began to say, you know what? We can actually exact taxes from people in an easier manner if we get one of their people to do it. If we get the Jews to exact taxes, extract taxes from the Jewish people, it's much easier for us to do rather than have a Roman do it. Because if you have a Roman do it, they might become upset, they might become a, they might cause a riot, and they would not be happy with that. But if you get one of their people to do it, there might be a, a better communication. So they ended up, what they did is they ended up selling tax, um, tax extraction to people of Israel as franchises. So they sell opportunity or this job to extract taxes from their own people as a franchise. You can literally buy into the franchise and then you're given the power by the Roman Empire to extract taxes. They're giving the military, they're giving the Roman soldiers, whatever it is that you need to extract taxes. Anybody who's not happy with you, the amount of tax that you're extracting, well, they have the Roman soldiers to talk to. So these tax collectors are quite powerful, but they're also very much hated. They will always get paid. But they're hated by the people. So as we read here in verse 9, Jesus was passing on from there. He saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax booth. Mark chapter 2 actually gives to us a greater description where Jesus actually met this tax collector. In Mark chapter 2, we're going to read that Jesus actually met this tax collector while Jesus was walking on the seashore. On the seashore. Matthew literally has his tax booth right there along the seashore. You wonder what is the tax booth doing there on the seashore. This gives us a little more picture of what is what kind of tax that Matthew is actually extracting. You see, the Romans they were extracting all kinds of taxes. Like you and me, we have to pay income tax, we have to pay property tax. So the Romans also extracted income tax and property tax. They extracted one percent of your income, which is not too much. So if you only extracted income tax, people probably won't be too upset about it. But the meat and the butter of the Roman Empire, when they actually extract the taxes, was actually not in the income tax or the property tax, but in the transportation, in the export, and the import taxes. So when Matthew was setting up his booth here in the Sea of Galilee, along the region of the Capernaum, he was actually extracting taxes along the trade route when people, able, people were literally carrying the, riding the boats in and making trades in the city of Capernaum and, and, then, uh, and then making trades outside the city, city of Capernaum where the city of Capernaum was used as a hub for this trade to happen. Every time they come into this port, there's Matthew. There's Matthew extracting taxes. Hey, how much you're trading? How much money you're bringing in? How much product you're coming in? You got to give 1% of that. So there is a lot of money that's going into Matthew. Matthew was becoming extremely wealthy because of taxes he's extracting. He's extracting these transportation taxes, import taxes, export taxes. These taxes, by the way, are taxes that you and I, we don't even know the tax laws regarding these things. Kind of like the tax that you pay on your cable bill. The tax you pay on your cell phone bill. You look at this, it's like, what, what am I paying, right? 
Like you don't even know, like the toll, toll roads, you don't even know what is the laws behind this. I mean, literally, they can charge your arm and leg. You kind of have to pay it because you need your cell phone. You need the dry places. And literally, this is what's happened in the days of Jesus. Matthew could literally charge anything he wanted to charge, and people can't really fight it. There's no way to fight it. So Matthew was becoming extremely wealthy as a result of it, but he was also extremely hated. Tax collectors in the days of Jesus were hated. They were categorized as sinners. Sinners on the level of adultery, sinners on the level of murder, sinners on the level of thievery, stealing. People hated them because they were working for the enemy. The Jews always wanted a nation of their own. They always believed that God called them to be a nation of their own. So when these tax collectors who were Jewish came along the scene, they were traitors. They were traitors that were prohibiting the Jews from becoming a nation of their own. They were extracting money from the people of God to serve the enemy, the Roman Empire. They were highly hated by the Jewish people. As a result, they were also extra communicated or uh, they were ex, uh, extra communicated or um, excommunicated from their Jewish community. They cannot go in the synagogues. They cannot be a part of the Jewish community. They were basically outcasts in the Jewish community. And here, Jesus met Matthew and said to Matthew, Come and follow me. You remember, when Jesus said these words to Matthew, Matthew likely was already feeling this kind of burden in his own heart. He must already felt the burden in his own heart because throughout Matthew's life, chances are people already told him that he's a sinner. People probably already spit on him. They spit on the money they give to him. I mean, literally, that was happening. You're a sinner, here's some money, whatever. And they hated Matthew. Matthew at this time probably already recognized that he's a sinner, but he had brought into the franchise. He doesn't know where to go. He heard the message that Jesus had been preaching throughout Capernaum. He's a tax collector in Capernaum. He wanted to follow Jesus, but he doesn't know if he's worthy to follow Jesus. He's afraid to let go. So when Jesus told him in Matthew chapter 9, verse 9, come and follow me, this was an opportunity that Jesus or Matthew needed in order to make that jump. He always wanted to make that jump. But when Jesus told him that he's ready, he's ready to follow, he made that jump to follow Jesus. As you remember, when Matthew made this jump to follow Jesus, he's actually making this jump in which he cannot go back to. If you know you and I, whenever we make a jump to follow Jesus, for example, the, uh, the, 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 uh, the fishermen, whenever they make a jump to follow Jesus, they can always go back to the fishing business. They can always go back to their fishing business because they were fishermen. Their dad is probably a fisherman. They can always go back to work for their dad, James, Andrew, Peter, and John. However, when Matthew makes this jump right here, he can never, ever go back. He can never, ever go back because once he leaves this tax booth and surrender it all to follow Jesus, the next person will sneak back, sneak in right there, take his position. Literally, it's a highly sought-after position. It's a lot of money in this position. You get to keep whatever that you, the Roman Empire does not want. You get to keep it. You can collect more and then just give whatever the Roman Empire is wanting, and therefore you get to keep the rest. If Matthew gives up this position, he cannot ever, ever go back. He truly, truly has surrendered all. In the same way, when we follow Jesus, God is calling us to surrender all to Christ as well. I experienced this a little bit in my daily life, especially this week. This week, we had an AC leak in our house. It was an AC that's in front, uh, on top of our uh, closet, and there was an evaporator up there, and it was leaking. It was leaking, so therefore it was kind of condensing. It was kind of uh, the condensation was coming down, it was making the ceiling wet. Eventually, the hallway and the walls wet. We didn't really see this until we opened up the closet and saw how wet it was on the inside. It has been days. 
probably a couple months that this happened. We don't even know. Mold was already, was, was already starting to grow. Now, there's one way to deal with it, which is the wrong way to deal with it. The wrong way to deal with it is by doing what? By just wiping it off and put some a new pair, new new paint of uh, paint over it, right? Just just a layer of paint, paint over it, and say, oh, probably the mold doesn't exist. Just kind of live to it, live next to it. But you and I would know that if we live next to this kind of thing, mold gives all kinds of toxin. You can really, really, really become sick. The kids which we are with can really, really become sick. The right way to deal with it is doing what? Cutting the whole wall out and cutting the ceiling out. Cut out all the areas that has mold in order to fix this problem. That's a hard thing to do, right? It's a hard thing to do because it's going to cost us an arm and a leg to do it. But we must do it. We must do it because we recognize that there is sin, there is mold, there is whatever it is within the wall that needs to be gotten rid of. If we don't get rid of it, if we just paint over it, then we're still going to continue to live with the effects of it. We're still going to be hurt by it. We won't ever, ever be free from it. In the same way, that is what it means to follow Jesus. You can simply look at the sins of your life and paint over it. Paint over it and pretend that it doesn't exist. Painting over it means that you're just doing some extra good works, just pretending it doesn't exist. While the reality of what you really need is for Jesus to come into your life and completely cleanse you of everything that you are. You see, that can only happen when you believe unto the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus came and died on the cross for your sin and my sin. He gave up all. He gave up his life for you and for me on the cross to be nailed to the cross so that he can pay for your sin and my sin and give his perfect righteousness to us. Anyone who believes on the Lord Jesus, we will have his righteousness. However, this kind of belief requires surrendering. It requires coming to the Lord as spiritual beggar and say, there's nothing in and of myself as worthy of a Lord except we're coming to Him on the basis of His mercy. It takes our pride away, but that's what it means to follow Jesus. See, we're called, if we understand how simple we are, if we understand how much iniquity is within us, how much mold that is in our own heart, that we would do anything it takes to have it removed. And that is what it means to follow our Lord Jesus Christ. Following our Lord Jesus does not mean that you live 100% perfectly. None of us are ever going to do it. Following Jesus means that we're going to recognize that we're beggars before Him and come to Him asking for His grace and for His mercy because God is pleased with us when we recognize that we're sinners. He desires to give mercy to us. This leads us to our second point. First, what we saw is that Jesus is calling us to recognize that we're sinners. If we recognize that we're sinners, we surrender all to follow him. Next, we're going to see in the next portion of this passage is that as we recognize that we're sinners, God is pleased with us. God is pleased with those who recognize that there's nothing good in them, that he needs, that, this per- that we need his mercy. Let's read here in verse 9 or verse 10 through 13. And as Jesus reclined the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and the disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So here we're given a little setting on what is happening 
in the next portion, Matthew, having received the grace and mercy of Jesus, now is inviting all of his friends to his home. We don't really get this from reading verse 10 because in Matthew chapter 10 or chapter 9 verse 10, it simply says that Jesus was reclining at the table in a house. But if we read both the Mark and the Luke account, we know which house this is. This is Matthew's house. What ended up happening is that Matthew began to become so excited at the fact that Jesus had called him to follow him that he began to invite Jesus to his home and had an evangelistic party. He had a party where he invited all his friends to come to meet Jesus and possibly to hear what Jesus had to say. Jesus had preached the gospel. Matthew now is believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. As a result, Matthew is so excited that he wants everybody to hear what Jesus has to say and maybe also receive the mercy of God as Matthew had received. Who is at this house? We ask the question. It's all the sinners and the tax collectors and all the people that are rejected by the society. The reason why that is the case is because Matthew by this time had already been rejected by the society for quite a while. He has already been rejected by the synagogues, rejected by the, Jewish, uh, the regular Jewish life. All the people that Matthew can associate himself with at this moment are all the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the adulterers, the, the robbers, and the thieves. Whoever it is that are rejected by the Jewish community, these are the only people that will, that will have anything to do with Matthew. Matthew is rejected. All his friends are also rejected. Now he's got a party going where he's inviting all his rejected, rejects of the society into this house where they get to hear Jesus speak. And Jesus is welcoming him. He's willing to go. Jesus called himself and people are called, uh, he's called the friend of sinners. He is. He's the friend of sinners. So Jesus, throughout his ministry, we see him eating with tax collectors, dining with people who are unworthy according to the world's um, recognition. He's actually with them the whole time. And here is also the case. Jesus is dining or reclining with sinners as we're going to see in verse 10. He is. As Jesus is sharing the gospel with all the tax collectors, all the sinners, all the people that are rejected by the society, we're going to find that there's one particular group here in verse 11 that are particularly unhappy. They're unhappy. They're unhappy because they are recognizing that Jesus shouldn't be doing this. They think that Jesus shouldn't be doing this. These are the Pharisees and the religious leader, as we see in verse 11. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why? Why? You see, by this time, Jesus was actually becoming more and more popular within the crowds, within the Jewish community. People actually loved Jesus. Even the Pharisees and the scribes kind of had the bent toward Jesus. If we read Matthew chapter 8, one of the scribes actually asked Jesus if you can follow him because Jesus was so popular within the crowd. Now, given the fact that Jesus was so popular, the Pharisees and the scribes were also hoping that Jesus will kind of come along their side and do the things which they do, which is to maintain the religious environment of the Jewish community. The religious environment of the Jewish community was the fact, was, it was established by the Pharisees in such a way that the Pharisees and the scribes were at the top. When at the top, they can kind of condescend toward those who are at the bottom. They're at the top because they can now communicate or can now live out this Jewish law, this Jewish tradition, which other people cannot. And now, therefore, the people cannot sort of have to look up to this law-abiding Pharisee. And when they're law-abiding, they, they get the community respected, the community to give them money. They're kind of living on this hierarchy in which they're at advantage. So they're asking Jesus to maintain this kind of hierarchy for them. When Jesus began in the popularity that he is to begin to eat with tax collectors and sinners, this was working against 
what the Pharisees wanted. So in verse 11, it said to the disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now remember, Jesus now is actually, the Pharisees actually now are not talking to Jesus. They're talking to the disciples. They're trying to tear down who Jesus is in front of the disciples. Disciples obviously are new believers. They don't know what's going on. They're seeking to follow Jesus, but now the Pharisees are seeking to tear down the trust that disciples have in the Lord Jesus Christ, saying to the disciples, why does your teacher do this? They're saying this not as an honest question. This is a rebuke. This is a shaming rebuke that they're saying to the disciples. But when Jesus heard this in verse 12, he said this. And this is the threefold response that we're going to read. Threefold rebuke back to the Pharisees. He said this, those who are well have no need of physician but those who are sick. Those who are well have no need of physician but those who are sick. Throughout the Old Testament, we read of God to be Jehovah Rapha, which means that He is the God who heals. God, by nature, is a physician. If you think that you're well, you have no need of a physician. You have no need of God. God would have no relationship with anyone who thinks that they're well. If you want a relationship with God as a physician, and God is a physician, you will have to recognize that you're sick. So if you believe, that is the Pharisees, believe that you're well, then you have no relationship with God. Second, in verse 13, Jesus said, Go learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. See, throughout the Old Testament, even now here in the Jewish community, what people are doing is they're sacrificing. They're committing to themselves to the religious rituals. They're going to the synagogues. They're doing these religious things, thinking that if they just do these religious things, they shall be accepted before God. That was happening also in the Old Testament time. This particular verse comes from Hosea chapter 6, verse 6, where God actually rebukes the nation of Israel for offering these sacrifices that God doesn't really care about. God doesn't really care if you're offering money, if you're offering sacrifices, if you're, offering, if you're doing all these things in a religious environment. He wants you to know the only reason why you're here is because He gives mercy. He wants you to recognize your sinner so they can give mercy unto you, that you'll receive mercy and you're thankful to the Lord for how much mercy that you have received. Another interpretation of this passage really goes on the other side. Those who have mercy, who have begun mercy, will demonstrate mercy to others. You see, for the Pharisees, they would not ever, ever demonstrate mercy to the tax collector and the sinners and the rejects of society because they have never, ever received mercy. Only those who have received mercy from God will give mercy. So the fact that the Pharisees and the scribes are now sitting at the religious top of the religious hierarchy and refuse to help those who are weak, help those who are rejected, refuse to give mercy, only goes to show that they don't have a relationship with God because they have never ever received mercy from God in their own lives. And the third rebuke is this in verse 13. It says, I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. Only sinners can have a relationship with God. This, not, this does not say that some are righteous. No. There are only those who will recognize that they're self-righteous. See, everybody are sinners before the Lord. The only difference between us and those who don't have salvation is that those who don't have salvation don't believe they need to be saved. They're self-righteous. Everybody is a sinner. The only difference is that those, there are those who see themselves as righteous and there are those who see themselves as sinners. And the Lord Jesus Christ will only have relationship with those who recognize themselves as sinners. 
You see, throughout this passage, God is teaching us that we need to continue to recognize ourselves how much of a sinner we are in order to in order to have this genuine relationship with God. I think throughout our times, throughout our, even as Christians, a lot of times we forget this. We forget this. We come to the Lord recognizing that we're sinners. However, throughout our time as a Christian, we begin to trust in our own self-righteousness. Begin to do ministry, begin to, to do other things in the church, and begin to really surround ourselves with the four walls of the church. And the reality is that we begin to less and less see ourselves as sinners and begin to see ourselves righteous in comparison to other people. That's committing the same sin that the Pharisees are committing. I think a lot of times the reason why we don't have evangelistic appeal to other people, to people outside of these four walls, is because we forget that we're sinners just like anyone who's out there. We forget that we're sinners. One time that I ended up going to a birthday party or a 4th of July party, it was the same time this year, many, many years ago. I went to a 4th of July party of some, a person who was a friend of some, another person in the church. And this person was a, a pretty active gangster. Was still in the gang, was still gangbanging, doing all kinds of stuff. He had a 4th of July party. My family and I, we went there. We never ever imagined this person to come to church, but we're just there. You know, and we're there not necessarily to condescend over this person. I was just being there, loving them, uh, and just showing that I'm here. You know, I'm I'm who I am, and if you would accept me, I I would love for you. Uh, I would love to celebrate this Fourth of July party with you. So when I was there, what ended up happening was that they had music going, music that wasn't really to my taste. There's some cussing going on, it isn't really to my taste. They had some conversation going on that really isn't what is to my taste. But you know what? When I left that party and went to church the next day, because it was Saturday, I think it was that day or the weeks after, this man, this pretty active gangster, actually came to our church. He came to our church. And you wonder why he came to our church. Because he felt kind of that we loved him. He felt that we related to him. The fact that I was there at his thing, he now felt that he should come to our thing. And he did. He did. He sat through the whole sermon, he sat through the whole service, he heard the gospel. And by the fact that I was willing to associate, the fact that our family was there, we were only willing to be associating with other people who don't know Jesus, recognizing that we have sin in us just like everyone else does. It made him think. And he was thinking about it. As a result, he came to church. He wanted what we have. And this is the beauty of what it means to continue to recognize that we're sinners before God because as we continue to recognize how much sin that Jesus is forgiving us of, we would then have something to relate to those people who don't know Jesus because their lives are full of sin, as our lives sometimes is as well. But we're forgiven. We're forgiven because Jesus Christ came and forgives those who will believe unto Him and follow Him with their lives. Jesus died on the cross for our sins to give His perfect righteousness to us. He Himself died on the cross so that we would have His righteousness. Even though He's perfect, he was actually, was actually the perfect one to live this out. He was hanging out with sinners, hanging out with tax collectors. He was with them all the time so that he can continue to shine his light before them. He shines light perfectly when they nailed him to the cross. Even though when they hated him, he was still there with them. So therefore, our lesson from this passage is that we will continue to follow our Lord Jesus Christ, recognizing that we're sinners, but at the same time, knowing that we have plenty to relate to the rest of the people in this world. We're sinners just like they are, except we have been given grace. If we understand this, then we would live evangelistically, we would live missionally in our community, in our lives, in our workplace, 
Inviting people to birthday parties, going to people to birthday parties, going to people's sports events, going to people's things, so that we can continue to show that we're just like them. We're just like anybody because we're all sinners before the Lord, except we've been given grace. When people see us, especially in our workplace, work gatherings, work parties, I mean, we don't participate in the sin which are participating, but we're there so that we can shine forth as light. There obviously is a right way to go about this. There's obviously a wrong way to go about this. Sometimes you shouldn't go. As an application, I'm going to just speak to you. Sometimes you shouldn't go because if people invite you to a strip bar, some of my work people, uh, when I was working in the the aerospace environment, some people did invite me there. I said I wouldn't go. But if they invite me to bowling parties, I would go because I wanted to show people that I love them. And these are perfect opportunities for you and I to continue to shine forth the light of Christ in these times. We need to continue to tell people that Jesus loved them. And the best way to tell people that Jesus loves them is not bring them to the four walls. They might not come here. But for us to be light and salt in this world, exactly where people are. Obviously, this takes a lot of wisdom. It takes a lot of discussion. Which things should we be a part of? Which things we should not? I think what the Lord gives, when the Lord gives to us the body of Christ, the body of Christ can come along to one, one another and make a discussion among us which things we should go to, which things we should not go to. And if there are things that we should go to, maybe we can all go together to shine forth as light for Christ. I should give you one example. One, one time, the, the neighborhood in front of our street, the apartment across our street, came over and they wanted to kind of discuss the issue of homelessness in our community. It's a difficult issue. They're dealing with it. We're here serving our community. We're dealing with it as well. It's a very, very difficult issue. There is no quick solution. We just continue to love, continue to serve. They come over and they want to talk to us about it because they're discussing it there in their apartment. So T- Trevor, Dakota, and I, we went. We went to their thing. We went to their thing. They would have us come up and we had to share with them a little bit of what we do here in our church, how we're serving our community, and it's through that our love for Christ shines through. I think everyone recognizes that we here in our church is not just working through our four walls. In our four walls, our doors are not always closed. We're actually involved in our community. We actually love people outside of our church. And through that, the gospel of Christ was shining through. And people do come to our church because of that. And do come inside here because of that. They get to hear the whole message of God through a sermon, through the conversation that you and guys are having with one another. And the beauty is that those people who God draws, when they hear the message of God, they will come and know the Lord Jesus Christ. Whoever God draws will know the Lord Jesus Christ. And here is our mission. Our mission is not just with words only, but with our lives. Our lives intertwined with the lives of those who don't know Jesus, as Jesus is showing us here in this passage. So God is calling us to continue to recognize that we're sinners. We're sinners before Him. We need God's grace. We need God's grace every moment of our day. And if we recognize we're sinners, we would then continue to surrender everything we are. Our treasures, our time, our talents, whatever it is that we have, because we know that this is an obvious choice. If God's going to give to us everything in eternity, it's an obvious choice that we would surrender everything in this world to gain what we cannot gain in that eternity. And also, as we embrace this path, we know that God's pleased with us. God's pleased with those who recognize that they're sinners before him. So we embrace that to, to receive God's grace in our lives. This all begins. This all begins in recognizing that we're sinners before our Lord. So how do you deal with the cupboard? How do you deal with a cupboard that's full of clean and dirty dishes? 
when you cannot tell which are unclean and which ones are dirty. Gotta take them all out, right? Gotta take them all out and put them back in the dishwasher and wash them all again. That's what you gotta do. So many times in this world, we're trying to pick out. It's like, you know, did I sin? Did I not sin? Is this a clean dish or a dirty dish? You can never, ever figure it out. You don't know. Your heart, the, the heart is so mixed with so many different motives. You cannot ever, ever cleanse yourself of these things. But if you come to the Lord Jesus and believe unto Him as your Lord, as your Savior, and ask Him to forgive you of all the sins that you ever, ever done, and He will. He will. He will because He'll give you His perfect life. As He gives you His perfect life, as you follow Him and pursue Him with everything you are, willing to surrender all, He will watch you and guide you every step of the way. As He watches us and guides us every step of the way, as we surrender all, we look forward to the day when He takes us home, when we shall be with Him in eternity. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank You for... I thank you for this message, Lord. We thank you, God, that we oftentimes, um, well, for this message, because oftentimes we don't remember how much of a sinner we are. We kind of remember our testimonial, our testimonies, but we don't really live by it. We know that we were sinners before we came to you, but we don't continue to see the depth of our sins and how you continue to forgive us day by day, how you continue to cleanse us day by day. So, Lord, help us to see how much you cleanse us day by day so that we would find it a worthwhile choice to continue to surrender everything to you. We need to do so because there's nothing on this world that's worthwhile in comparison to the glory which we receive in eternity. We thank you, Jesus. Cause us to grow, Lord. Cause us to see a glimpse of you in your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.